Hello, my name is Jack Elliot Hobbs, and welcome to Unlived Lives, a philosophical YouTube series and podcast in which we explore the lives my guests are not living and why. If you hear any unmotivated sound, it's likely to be my two dogs enjoying life entirely in the present, unaware of any disruption they may be causing. I hope you enjoy listening. My guest in this episode is my friend and mentor, Peter Berry. Peter has served society as a psychotherapist, teacher and trainer for more than 40 years. He has come to explore the impossibility of the Unlived Lives Project. Peter, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. So Thank good you. to have you. Thanks so much for coming on. It's good on. to be here, Jack, in Amazing. This, uh, this extraordinary um, setup. Yeah, I mean, it's... You know, I'm so lucky. It's it's so good to have it and use yeah. it. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, what do you mean by the impossibility? Well, I, I said that when I said that to you, it was a little bit of hyperbole. But I think what I was trying to say in that moment was that really, there's a, there's a sort of subtlety to the question. There's a sort of there's the familiarity that we have in talking about ourselves. There's that sense in which there's the convention that we we have in people talking about themselves, the, the, the narrative they give of their lives, the stories that they tell of their lives, the way they present themselves, the selves that they present. Mm. And all of that sort of, that aspect of, of the, the project that you're involved in is, is a very familiar one to all of us. But parallel to that, and set aside, setting a, uh, setting a, a different side to that, is the question that we're always managing the presentation of ourselves, mm. and and that the act of managing the presentation of ourselves um, changes the sense we have of ourselves, the way we think about ourselves, the way we talk about ourselves, tends to shape and craft a self that is familiar to us or a shape uh, and craft a self that is familiar to those people that we're talking to so that we're sort of in agreement we build an agreement between each other that this is who we are and this is how we are and this is what we're doing and this is where we're going and so on and i suppose <clears throat> it reminds me of uh, you know that the the uh, idea in, in in physics particle physics with which I don't know anything about, but I, I know enough to, to know that there's a, 
uh, an idea called the indeterminacy theory, where the very act of observing the particle physics means that you've, you've, affected, you've affected them, you've changed them in some way. And so in a sense, I think in a parallel way, there's a sense in which when we think about ourselves, when we speak about ourselves, when we present ourselves to the world, we're actually um, manifesting a, a narrative about us and the idea that there's an us which is um, absolute, solid, mm. uh, and can be known, um, I think is a real problem. And it's not a, a, not a bad problem, it's just an interesting problem. Mm. Um, and we set us on, uh, alongside that a notion that um, uh, when, we, um, when we're thinking about ourselves, when we're thinking about who we are, we, we do desperately, uh, often desperately need to be reassured that we are who we are by the people we're speaking to. Mm. So as I say, there's that sort of um, a complicity between the, 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 the two people in a conversation. And of course, my life as a psychotherapist has meant that I've been working alongside people who, for whom this question about who they are is actually a real problem. Mm. Um, or that the, 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 the who that they think they are is a problem. And um, so in a sense, um, I, I would say that I've lived a parallel life with this, this uh, the familiar, which I'm familiar with, which is, you know, um, you know that, that I chose how I was going to get dressed this morning, or that I was, sure. you know, you know that was how I was going to present myself, that I was nervous about sitting in front of a camera, and, you know, that... Um, and that, of course, we are sitting here with, you know, one, two, three cameras around as a lighting rig above us and kit mm. across the, the, the table. Um, That's going to change yeah, how you it, it, present it, yourself. It, it changes how I present myself. And, and it's the same for you, Jack. You know, yeah. and you, you, we, we sort of have this moment where we're having this conversation. We've got a coffee. We're organizing ourselves here. And then, then suddenly you start. Mm. And, you, you know, we, we suddenly move into a different register, a different mm. sort of register that um, we're, we're being very thoughtful about what we say or we're, or we're observing ourselves saying what we're, what we're saying sure. in, in a way that we weren't a few moments before. Or indeed do regularly at all. Uh, yeah, or, or indeed. Now, for those of us um, who, who are continuously observing ourselves um, and many people who are continuously observing themselves in a, in a critical way are people who find their way to my consulting room to work with me because in a sense their the self-observation um, has ceased to be ordinary self-observation but mm. hypercritical self-observation. Mm. And um, they the, 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 we suffer from that hypercritical self-observation. So that again sets, us, sets um, our lives aside from other lives because if we're, if we're observing ourselves in this you know, absolutely uh, hyper critical level. Um, then we are we are living an unhappy life mm. because that's all we're doing. Because that's all we're doing. That's all we know. That's that's and and those of us who live like that um, desperately need to find a way out of that trap, mm. uh, out of the trap of self observation, into a sort of ordinary observation. Um, in an observation where we're 
neither special nor awful. Mm. We're just sort of, uh, to, to use my word, ordinary. And I think that's a very helpful place to be, to be just very ordinary. And um, achieve some sort of degree of contentment with yeah. oneself yeah. where you can get on with making the decisions about whether you have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and to be happy, to be happy. Um, so I, I think that was what I meant anyway. If that, yeah. if that perhaps it's a long-winded, <laughs> no, no, no. very long-winded way well, of answering but, the question. But it's, obviously, it's, it's sort of a curious idea because it's the opposite as you're saying you're exploring something which is not possible. And so on the face of it, that seems very like, well, then what's the point? But maybe that's the point. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, what, what is the point? Um, and it's a very good question. What is the point? But I, I think what we're, what we're trying to do when we're asking about the unlived life is, is to try and catch, I suppose, catch a moment um, where someone um, has a thought um, something that occurs to them, something that they didn't think before, mm. uh, or that the sitting down, sitting down with you, with that question in front of them, actually enables them to 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 to, to look at again at their life, to re to represent to themselves their life, and think, ah, could it could it have been like that, or what was I thinking then, or. Um, so it, it, as much as I, I, I want to characterise it as a sort of impossible um, thing to do, mm. um, for various reasons, which I, I perhaps I might go on to talk about a bit more, it's still a very exciting thing to do. Helpful. And helpful thing to do. And helpful thing to do. Um, and of course, I mean, inevitably, uh, when you ask a person that question, um, when in their life you ask them that question, mm. you'll get a different answer. Absolutely. And that answer will change from interview to interview to interview. If you interview the same person a week later, the, the, the impact of their discussion with you might have enabled them to, to rethink themselves, to, to, to notice something about themselves, to think, oh, I didn't realise that about me. Or that was true, but it may be there's more to it than that. Mm. So there's an unfolding. And... and sort of what you're saying seems to be very much about the helpful being helpful to the person yeah. the person in the chair yeah but because you know i'm i'm filming this i'm recording this how do you think it might help what's the point how do you think it might be helpful if at all for other people to witness that because otherwise we could just have a private conversation we've had many lovely private conversations yeah. about wonderful topics and things such as this. So why share it? Well, I, I think that's, that's a, a, a two things there. I think one is that, that it's entertaining. Mm. Uh, and, you know, one of my favourite radio programmes is Desert Island Discs. Sure. Because inevitably, whenever you sit and listen to it, you think, no, that wouldn't be on my list, mm. or I wouldn't have done it that way. Yeah. Or, or, or I wish I could go on Desert Island Discs because there's a sense in which the the the... the the narrative that one builds and the, and, the, and the story that one tells of oneself and one's life mm. um, and crafts it to produce this beautiful object called Desert Island Disc, that, that person's, you know, eight choices and so on, um, has a sort of polish to it, mm. has a sort of completeness about it, you know. 
and that we we love to think of our lives as having a narrative and a completeness about mm. it. You know, it has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and um, and a summary. It's a easier summary. to yeah. yeah. And, and 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 the idea of summing up a life uh, in eight pieces of music, mm. I think, is a wonderful idea. Mm. So, in a sense, there's a parallel narrative here, isn't there? You know that that. Um, what what is the unlived aspect of your life, or what 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 did you miss, or what haven't you done, and what would you want to do, and so on? All of those questions, based on the decisions that you made, or yeah. or not. Yeah, that's right. And like, uh, and just like, say, to use Desert Island as, as a sort of instance, like that, um, sitting, listening to, and watching, uh, 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 you know, a video like this, I think it does provoke people to ask that question of themselves mm. and to. And also, obviously, to learn from another person's experience. Um, and I think the, the stories that you've told so far, each one of them has, you know, you learn something from them. Uh, yeah. you, you, you've been able to draw out a sort of a structure or a theme or an element which has been representing um, uh, an insight that that person has had into life. And those insights are really quite important mm. for them and also for the, for the observer to think, yeah, actually, that... Yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. I like that point. Perhaps a you know a philosophy that they've come up with yeah. based upon their experience to push them through life to make the decision to get up at six in the morning or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's true. That's really helpful. So I suppose it's about it's about actually offering some up, up something which enables someone to reflect on their own life. Um, and learn from the life of, a, of another person. Do you think the Unlived Live Projects is efficient in that? <clears throat> That's an interesting question. It's efficient. Do you, um, think, do you think there would be a way to get to the result faster if the result is sharing philosophy? No, I, 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 I don't. I think, I think that... that I don't think you need to. I don't think there's there's a more efficient way of putting it, I, I th of doing it. I think it's to do with the the way that human beings meander um, in the way that they represent themselves or think about themselves. They're not. They don't go straight to the point. Um, and if they go straight to the point, it's a point they've known about for years, and and mm. they're not saying anything new. I think what what what's so important about an interview with someone is. For, to produce an environment in which they can have a thought that they haven't thought before. Mm. Yes, that they can represent themselves in all the familiar ways they do, but they can have a moment where they say, so I hadn't thought that before. Mm. Because and you that, see the rehearsal otherwise. Yeah. You yeah. get a sense of that. That's right, because we're, we're, yeah. the danger is we're always rehearsing ourselves. Indeed. That, that presentation, yeah. as you're yeah. saying. Yeah. yeah. And, of course, our, our culture at this moment... Um, which is, you know, which we're an instance of uh, this phenomenon here is an instance of our culture, which mm. is about about the fascination that we have about ourselves and the fascination we have about ourselves to, um, to uh, you know, it goes back to that idea of Andy Warhol, you know, everyone's going to be famous for 15 minutes. Mm. You know, it's my 15 minutes sort of thing, Fine, you know, yeah. or in this case, maybe 45 or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but... But it's a narcissistic culture. You know, we live in a narcissistic culture. Um, the media generates um, ideals, uh, you know, the idea of celebrityhood. The idea of celebrity is a phenomenon that's come about certainly in my lifetime, 
probably in the last 30 years, 20 or 30 years, mm. and it's reached a level where celebrity and politics and show business and all sorts of things are all woven together. Mm. And it's very difficult to pick out whether it's a, you know, I've, I've listened to a podcast with Obama and um, uh, Springsteen, you mm. know, which is them talking about, you know, basically music and American way of life. Mm. And you couldn't put a cigarette paper between the two of them in terms of the way they present themselves. You know, slick, efficient, if you want to. Sure. And really, to, and really very, very engaging, mm. you know, fascinating. So, and I think that's, that's, that's a point about fascination as well, which is, you know, another thing we, we often think about. He, he or she is fascinating. And that's, that's, um, that's a very interesting word. Uh, because it has its, you know, the idea of um, fascination of, uh, it comes from a sort of uh, Latin, I think it's fasces, to, to bind or to grip. Yeah. So that we're in the grip of someone's face. Mm. Uh, the face comes from fasces, uh, you know, it has its origins in to bind, to grip. The face grips us. So we're in cultures where we're narcissistically engaged in how we present ourselves, mm. how we look, how we're seen, how we're able to gauge and draw in another person, the grip we can have on them. Mm. And that's part of the celebrity hood, you know, that you see a celebrity in the street and you're fascinated, you're turned to look at them, you know, you're gripped by them. Mm. And social media having taken that face and provided a perfect veil yeah. for all the stuff that you sweep under the carpet yeah. and then you just presented with this perfect face. Absolutely. Absolutely. That polish that we're able to put on it, you know, the cosmetic overlay of, of uh, polish and smoothness and beautiful surfaces and beautiful lighting and uh, drone shots. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, the n number of drone shots we see on, on YouTube is just sort of beyond belief. And mm. um, they're wonderful because we see the world from a different point of view mm. and we can be fascinated from places that we never would have been able to see them. Never would have ever. been able to see. Yeah. 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 Such a, a, a big world. There's, there's no chance. <laughs> I mean, my hope for it, really, the project is to sort of perhaps be some sort of force against the extraordinary. Mm. You know, that mm. extraordinary lifestyle that you see on social media and actually just talking about ordinary feelings perhaps ordinary ideas that we can all we all have our own answer to it's a question the questions i aim to sort of ask are all questions that anybody could have an answer to yeah yeah and and then therefore every answer is different and and i'm hoping that that with every answer, you know, there's a, there's a new piece of philosophy or a new idea or a new insight into how to get through that that might help someone. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a fair comment. I, I, I don't doubt that's, that's a possibility. Um, and because in a sense you're, you're, you're engaging a, a person to speak about who they are and who they feel they are and who they believe they are, um, and I think that that is inevitably going to be informative and and inspiring um, to others. To others, yes. Because I mean, I, I've been thinking. I obviously watched the, the videos, and you know how people have lived their lives 
is is inspiring mm. because it, it it enables you to see that lives are not perfect and polished and they are incomplete and they are fragmented and we do we do stitch ourselves together um, from different aspects of who we think we are at times and, and say um and are and yeah and um, what and who and on camera or yeah. you know well, yeah make yeah. mistakes i make mistakes and and that's that's a very ordinary part of the world, um, a very ordinary thing for us to do. And it can be very reassuring to see how other people uh, make the same mistakes as we do or have the same difficulties. So, to what extent do you feel like it's an ever-increasing difficulty to sit through a programme, piece of entertainment, which highlights the ordinary? So... Not editing out the ums and ahs, yeah. the flailing, the, you know, thinking, the facial expression of going, oh, I haven't thought about that before. You know, that's something I'm sort of trying to keep in as, mm. as much as possible mm. within reason. Um, do you think that's helpful? Do you think that is going to put people off? No, I, I don't think it's going to put people off. I think that the, 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 the question that I, I think... I think that there is a certain uh, certain pleasure in seeing rawness and seeing un, unpolished um, moments. Um, we're all wanting to see behind the, the curtain, behind the screen, and, and we're all curious about how it is and how it was. And so, in a sense, I think you are representing that aspect of you know uh, lives. Um, Things that you know, um, conversations that you can't have with a person that you're, you're seeing it being had, and thinking, "Oh, I, I wouldn't have asked that question. Mm. I would have asked a different question." Or why, why did he? Why did you not pick that up? Mm. I, I, you, I think you missed something there. Um, or um, so the unpolished and the uh, the the raw is always very much more interesting because we're so good at polishing ourselves. Mm. You know, we're so good at being polished. And um, those people who are not good at polishing themselves um, could be... Sasha. Thank you. Sasha, enough. Boys. Thank you. Sasha. Thank you. Are we done? Come on, in your bed. You know? So there's a beautiful illustration of the unpolished moment. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. But suddenly, ordinary life inserts itself in the narrative that we're constructing here, something comes in from off stage, you know, comes in, something comes in to remind ourselves that we're on the stage because this is not, this is not part of how it should be. Mm. This is not what we're wanting to do or not what we're expecting. So the dog's barking at someone coming in, suddenly realize you suddenly you come out of it and having to pacify the dogs and having to sort of change their, their position and encourage them to settle down. It's all part of that intrusion 
And the intrusion suddenly highlights the artifice of what we're constructing here. Mm. And we, yet we return to the artifice. Mm. You know, we are, you and I are reasonably skilled enough to return to the narrative mm. and to the artifice of what we're producing here. Mm. So <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, That impossibility of actually ever being perfect, truly. Well, the impossibility of being perfect, <coughs> it's a really good point, perfect. Um, because there isn't such a thing as perfect. Perfect is an ideal, not, a, not, a, not an object. You know, it's an ideal. Um, it's like, like um, the truth. There, there isn't the truth. There are truths. There's mm. truthfulness, mm. Um, and there's the ideal. Uh, our, uh, but there's no. We, we see that as an aspiration, perhaps. You know, we, we, we aspire to produce something. We should. Yeah, we should see aspire. It. Yeah, we see should it aspire. as an aspiration yeah. rather than an objective. Yeah, because we can't. Because we're a work in progress. I mean, people are a sort of work in progress. They're not. They're not fixed. They're not final. Um, and for those of us who feel that we must be fixed or we must be final, um, we must be um, finished in some way, polished in some way. Um, I think that that idea uh, uh, will make us unhappy mm. uh, because we will always be failing. But if we accept ourselves as as a work in progress. Um, then we see that um, there is no destination. There's no absolute destination. We're, we're never going to be there. We're always going well, to be. Well, the destination is when we're not there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait. So I, th I think I think um, keeping it keeping it um, keeping it in the form of, of uh, you know like the the insertion of the dogs barking. I think is part of the reminder of the ordinariness of, of what we're trying to do and how. If we keep on polishing it, trying to perfect it, <clears throat> we miss we miss we miss out on life. Sure, we miss out on the dogs barking. You know, we miss out on the pleasure of <clears throat> seeing the dogs bark and mm -hmm. um, the humour of them dog bar barking in the middle of. Our, the yeah. middle of our, <laughs> Do you mind? <laughs> Do you mind? Yeah. And you know, can you settle down, lads? You know, um, mm. but that was part of that was as much part of this moment. Um, as the words we're uttering now and mm. the conversation we're having now. And has had an effect on it. It has, yeah. And sort of going back to being in the chair. Yeah. The consequences of being filmed versus not, being recorded and not, mm. certainly to, to people who have perhaps no experience in being so and therefore are completely untrained in putting on that mask... I think for those brave enough, could be very interesting and helpful. I, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think one of the things I noticed about it when I was watching some of the videos was the fact that <clears throat> everyone there was um, new to the trade, new to the business. Um, and um, But at the same time, they, they, were, they were in, an, in a sort of native way. Mm. You know, not in a sort of um, 
trained way, but in a sort of native intelligence, you know, just being ordinary intelligence, you know, being an inhabitant of, of the business of being an ordinary presenter of oneself. They were having to reframe themselves in some way in front of the camera. Mm. Um, and I think they, you know, they all did it very well. They all sort of reached up in some way. They, you know, both you and they polished something or produced something more than themselves. I think there was a sense in which everyone was trying to reach for something, mm. trying to reach for something true about themselves. Um, and I think that's a wonderful opportunity f for people to be given. Yeah. And even though that's never said, you know, all I sort of do is is send them an invite, which is a web page, and sort of say, this is what this idea is. Don't show anybody the, the, the questions that comes on beforehand mm. and just drop it in front of them. Yeah. And because the idea is that it's an exploration. They yeah. explore it on the go rather yeah. than coming, as you say, with a pre-prepared answer. Yeah. Um, and so, we're, yeah, we're seeing that exploration happen and hopefully inspiring those watching to think about that as well. Hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But again, I'm returning to the idea it raises questions about, about um, I suppose uh, it raises questions about the idea that there is such a thing as a fixed person, a person who knows themselves, a person who, who knows the history, a person who remembers everything that is appropriate or salient in that moment. And it, uh, that um, uh, an, idea, uh, an idea of a person who, who sufficiently understands themselves to be able to represent themselves efficiently, effectively, clearly, you know, use, use your word efficient, um, that quite often we're missing the point quite often we don't remember things that might be quite relevant in that situation um we're we're doing our best to produce a narrative about narrative sense of who we are um um and that um we're managing the anxieties uh, of the interview um um, both the both the pleasurable uh, excitement of, of the interview and the unpleasurable excitement of the interview, the the anxiety that comes with being put on the spot, as it were, mm. the anxiety of having to believe that you're going to have something interesting to say, um, the anxiety that um, when you're being watched, you're going to be watched benignly and lovingly, as opposed to judgmentally, judgmentally and contemptuously. You know, all of those things we're having to manage um, when we're in a situation like this. And an element that there must be a leap of faith. Yeah, we have that leap of faith. A leap of faith in ourselves as well as a leap of faith in the audience, mm. that the audience is going to be interested in what we're talking about and not um, disinterested or, or contemptuous, because this is, of course, one of the things that we're having to manage um, in the world, which is... Um, uh, the the way in which we have to defend ourselves against anxiety um, uh, you know I, I think for people I, I, I work with um, how they live with anxiety or as I would put it it illustrates the problem of how we live with anxiety because mm. I don't see 
you know, when I refer to the idea of my patients, I don't refer to them as, as another species. Sure. They're, they're, they're merely iterations or reiterations of, of, um, of the ordinary and everyday person mm. I, to which, you know, I'm one. Um, there's, the, I, I, there's, there's a bit of all of us in everyone. Absolutely. And, and, and that's something we have to remember. Uh, so when we're looking at someone contemptuously, um, you know, in a sense, that's because partly we're looking at ourselves contemptuously. Mm. But I think the anxiety that, that we live with in our society, um, which is an ordinary anxiety, which is, um, are we loved? Are we cared for? Uh, are we accepted? Are we wanted? Are we needed? All of those questions that we live with, how we defend against that anxiety um, is is very significant um, because it tends to um, tends to manifest itself in in ways which we re- represent ourselves to the world. Um, we we um, if we feel unloved, then we try to represent ourselves as a thing worth loving. Mm. Um, or we are keen to be seen as something worth loving. Um, we present ourselves as much as we can as something worth loving. Um, or indeed, if we are frightened of being uh, loved and unloved, if we're frightened of being loved because being loved is dangerous, then of course we can be um, unloving and and um, represent ourselves as someone not worth loving. Mm. And the danger is we believe these things about ourselves. We believe that we're unloved or we believe that we are unloving. Um, and I think it's really important to, to, for, for people to, to notice that about mm. themselves, that, that their beliefs about themselves, the way and, they defend themselves about them. And to have an ability to see that in others. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because what, what, we, what is happening to us is happening in, in another at the same time. We just were so good at putting up the veil you know, and hiding all of that, yeah. that we don't recognise it often. We're so glossy, to put it that way, we're so mm. glib at, at doing this that we don't notice it. And I think um, the, 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 the phenomena that we live with every day, this phenomenon that we live with every day, people who come to see me and people like me are coming to see them because they're not as good at doing it as others. Mm. They're just not as good at doing it, and there's there's a sort of a self reflection. Um, uh, they we fall back on ourselves. We, we we look at ourselves from a position of contempt or or, um, or grandiosity. I think we we either inflate ourselves to, to, to enormous grandiosity, or we or we deflate ourselves um, to with enormous grandiosity. We are. We, we see ourselves as terrible people as, and, we, and we see ourselves as wonderful people. Mm. And um, both of those, we, we create suffering for ourselves when we see ourselves as a wonderful person and when we see ourselves as an awful person. That's, that's suffering. Ordinariness is somewhere in the middle where we're neither special nor awful nor anything, but just ordinary getting on with our lives. But we suffer from... Um, the idea that we have to be something special or we're not something special or we're something terrible and so on. This sort of inevitable sort of different formations of that. Mm. In my journey as a wannabe philosopher, yeah. I have uh, done quite a bit of reading over lockdown. 
and perhaps uh, somewhat um, very, very late to the party, but um, I've discovered Nietzsche. Oh, yeah. And um, I have discovered that he said, uh, really, the journey is about becoming who you are. And that idea of becoming who you are and why we can't just be who we are now at the start if there is another way of putting you know we're all on a journey to perfection would perfection could perfection actually be becoming who you are in that if you're not who you are already why are you not and how did that start Mm. and why can't you get there all big questions. All big questions. <laughs> big questions. I, I mean, for me, the question of becoming who we are is, is again, I think a problem. Um, 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 being who we are sort of rather implies that there's something that we are which we need to become, that, that, that there's a destination, you know, that we become who we are. Um <clears throat> And I'm, I'm not sure about that. I mean, I, I know I know what he's saying. Sure. I know what people say, but what they sort of mean when they say that. They're, they're, we're invited into a sort of nodding of our heads and saying, yeah, that makes sense, you know, become who we are. I suppose if there's not a sort of thing that we are, that we have to become, a sort of destination, a perfection, a polishing, perhaps one way I, I would prefer to put it is that we to become present in our lives, fully present in our lives, where we are. Where, where we are right now, become fully present in that moment and to live in the full presence of that moment as that moment changes. So vividly being who we are is be, being being um, right here, right now, um, alive and alert and thoughtful and kind and loving. Um, that would seem to me to be um, a huge achievement. And I think most of us spend our lives dipping into those moments mm. and dipping out. You know, we, we, we spend most of our lives sort of um, managing uh, that excitement, um, you know, by uh, distraction. I think it's very hard to be truly present. That's that, that's it, isn't it? it, it I'm, I'm fascinated with this idea of, of not needing perhaps an exterior source of distraction, as you put it, or stimulus, mm. which takes us away from, again, Nietzsche saying, don't drink alcohol, because mm. drinking alcohol just takes you away from your problems rather mm. than having to face them. Yeah. And so that idea of becoming who you are in that you don't need any third party stimulus yeah. or, or, or distraction to just be and be content. Yeah. And I guess <laughs> there are a wide variety, which um, some of which I believe you have experience in Buddhism, you know, um, of, of seeking that as often and as permanently as possible. Do you think that's possible? Well, no, I don't think it's possible. I mean, of course it's possible, but the idea of living in a, in a living in any state of mind, whether it be good or bad, uh, it permanently, is, I think is impossible. Mm. Um, and unhealthy. And unhealthy, you know. Um, and there's a lovely story from Idris Shah, um, 
where he, he, he tells a story of a, uh, a Persian emperor who um, goes to his, um, his, uh, his Sufi teacher and says to him, look, I'm, I've got so much um, and I'm frightened of losing it. Um, I have so much um, I'm frightened of losing, but I equally take so much pleasure in all the things that I've got, and I, and I lose myself in the pleasure of all the things I've got. So I move from the pleasure of all the things I've got to the fear of losing all the things that I've got. And the Sufi teacher says, well, I'll, I'll think about it, and I'll come back to you with a solution. So he comes back to him, and he has a ring engraved, and on the surface of the ring is, this too shall pass. Mm. And the idea, whenever the emperor is excited by all that he's got, he looks at the ring and this too shall pass. Mm. And when he's despairing at the thought of losing all that he's got, he looks at the ring and he says, this too shall pass. Mm. So in a sense, we live with that um, sense of the transition between the good and the idea of being able to stay in a permanent state of happiness, for example, is nonsense. Mm. We can't, it's not possible. Um, Because happiness happens. You know, we can't make ourselves happy. Uh, we can give ourselves pleasure, um, and our society is very good at giving us pleasure. We can buy pleasure. We can create pleasure. Pleasure is sold to us. The economy works on the sale of pleasure. Mm. And convenience. And convenience. But we confuse pleasure with happiness mm. to our peril, because happiness is not pleasure. Um, you know, we can be happy with nothing. And and over your career, have you had a sense of problems changing or morphing or society's pressures changing and morphing and therefore, you know, your treatment changing and and morphing, perhaps? Well, I, I... Yeah, I think I probably have seen things change. Um, maybe not perhaps in the ways that you're pointing to, but certainly there's been elements of things different. Different things are brought to, to me, and therefore different things are being suffered by us than perhaps they were suffered 40 years ago. Um, uh, I know that... Um, for example, when I was uh, first practicing as a, as a psychotherapist, there were two other, <clears throat> two other, two other psychotherapists in the town mm. where I live, um, and now there are hundreds of psychotherapists and counsellors. Uh, um, there's a, you know counselling training producing thirty or so qualified counsellors every year, you know, in the in the vicinity. So um, there is therefore um, a market. Yeah, mm. um, there is a there is a, a business called counselling. There's a business called psychotherapy, which didn't, which obviously existed, but wasn't presented in the way it is now. I mean, to find a psychotherapist, not many people thought about finding a psychotherapist. Not many people wanted to find a psychotherapist, mm. and the people who found the way to psychotherapy. Um, were very particular at that time, often referred by their doctors or psychiatrists uh, or people themselves who were wanting to train as a psychotherapist. But I think um, the sense of the volume of 
of uh, work being done in counselling and psychotherapy at the moment is indicative of um, a transformation in uh, our society and our culture mm. that it, it's it's very very self-reflective very very as I would put it narcissistic um, and it, it doesn't imply that there, there's any more or less suffering it's just that that there's a certain style of, of, of uh, preoccupation. It's so, taking a different form. Yeah, I think so. It's a sort of style of preoccupation. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I can't quite sure quite what I mean by that, but I, I think there's a sort of feel you get, which is that everyone's in it now. There's, there's so much of it. Um, mm. And I'm not sure that's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, mm. but it's just there's, there's a lot of it, a lot of people doing it. Um, and whereas, you know, uh, 40 years ago, um, there were just a very few uh, training organisations. Now there are dozens and dozens and dozens throughout the country. Um, and what is that saying about society? Um, and what is it saying about the marketing and the marketization? Of, of counselling, mm. um, and it affects the it affects the um, the identity of the psychotherapists and, or counsellors themselves. It, it, it affects how they see themselves, mm. and um, and they see themselves as, as competing on a market. Um, mm. Whereas before there was no market, mm. so there was no competition. There was just a sense of collegiate, um, you know. Uh, cross-referral that people would do from psychotherapist to psychotherapist or GP to psychotherapist. It's very different now. Very much a business and industry. And what does that tell us about the sort of pain and distress that we're suffering from at the moment? Um, questions to be thought about a bit more, perhaps. Mm. Yeah, I mean, capitalist supply and demand... There's a demand, the supply will rise to meet it. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, and also, my concern is, is the individualizing of suffering that, that's involved in that. Mm. Um, you know, we can get away with, with, with locating unhappiness and suffering in the individual. Um, so we psychologize unhappiness rather than sociologize it, make mm. it social, you know, that. The way we're living, the way our society lives, evokes unhappiness, mm. manifests unhappiness in us. Um, and therefore, we see the thing as not needing social change, but needing individual personal change. And in that way, we lock ourselves away from perhaps the source of our unhappiness. We lock ourselves into the illusion that I suddenly have to become somehow different, another person, better and if I become better, <coughs> I will become transformed and, mm. and, and be happy. But of course, maybe what we're back to is this question about um, um, it's social change that's required mm. um, to live happier, healthier lives as, as an individual in a community. Well, there's a, there's a fantastic idea which I discovered recently that... Um, Perhaps the <coughs> perhaps the one feature that makes us different to any other animal or mammal is that we are civilized, and that we can be civil. 
to each other. And so not being civil to each other <coughs> takes that away. And this idea that how do you want to serve the world and how how do you want to help others, how can you help others, how can you serve society is sort of getting further and further away from people's priorities. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it's about what can I get? Not what, not what I can give, but what can I get? And that can only come from, you know, society. And where's the, where did that start? Where did that come from, you know? What are the decisions that have been made that have got us to this point? Mm. I think is something that, talking about unlived lives, you talk about individual unlived lives, but how about sort of the wider picture, you know? major decisions that have been made that have actually led everyone or every one of us, all of us into a society that have gently and gradually morphed society to the point that we're <coughs> at now. And, and what if different decisions were made? Yeah. And, 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 and what if, you know, a different political leader was, was elected or, or, or whatever, whatever the situation but exploring that, I think, is something, that, a tangent of the program that I, I, I'd be I, interested to go I, down. I can see it. it's definitely a tangent to it. But I think that, you know, as a community, we're living an unlived life. You know, that we're living, a, you know, if you think about the community, um, we think, <clears throat> we've got things like um, global warming. What would it be like to, for our society to live a different life? You know, to live a life that we've we've switched tracks somewhere along the last 50 years or at least since the 1950s we've switched tracks in such a way that we've got the problem we've got what would it be like to switch back uh, to live an unlived life um, of a different order mm. but I think the idea of, of uh, the, what I think the proliferation of counselling and psychotherapy is doing is uh, individualising and psychologizing in the, in the individual unhappiness rather than seeing unhappiness as something that arises in, from the way of life we have, mm. um, and then is 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 experienced at an individual level. And of course, if we're continuously put back on us, as, well, what are you going to do about it? How mm. are you going to change? Then, of course, the whole issue of political change uh, is, is 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 sort of hived off. We don't have to have political change; we just have to have individual change. Yeah, mm. um, and um, you know. Uh, it doesn't matter how many cans of beans we store in, in our in our cellars. Uh, we're still not going to have enough cans of beans to feed us when when the, the global warming takes takes off. You know, we mm. can't individually preserve ourselves from the social change and the ecological changes that we're seeing around us. But of course, we're encouraged to think like that. Mm. Where are we, Jack? We're right on time. <laughs> um, so I think. Probably lastly, in a in a hope to sort of understand, you know, what's what do you feel the root cause is? The root cause of the situation that we're in. That's a big question, isn't it? Because I don't know. I don't know what the root cause is. I don't think anyone can know. I think there's so many, so many overlapping and overlaying um, reasons for where we are that it's not possible to reduce it. 
to one thing. Um, one of the big things, I think, is that, is that we are sold on the idea that um, our lives can be improved by the level of pleasure we live, we have. And as long as we believe that life is about pleasure um, and being pleased and pleasing each other um, in terms of the level of pleasure we can give to each other or we can get from each other, then as long as we do that, then we're caught in an economy which will always be able to promote pleasure and sell us pleasure. Because you're never truly able to become who you are or find contentment or be be that be happy yeah. rather than joyful yeah that's um, right because you're constantly perpetuate perpetuated this idea with or and with um, the point about pleasure is that it's a function of desire and when when we have desires which are met we only have the de- desires replaced by other desires because we're creatures with desire we just want things we're just desiring machines as it were and you can never have enough. And our society works on that principle. You can never have enough. You can never have enough happiness. And if happiness is confused with pleasure, then you're lost. Because you can have lots and lots of happiness without having any pleasure as such. Peter Berry, thank you so <laughs> much for talking to me today. I really, really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been a pleasure. It's been absolutely (laughs) wonderful to have you. If you enjoyed this conversation with Peter, make sure to give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you're listening via the podcast, please do give the show a rating and a review. I hope you enjoyed listening. Mm